0: Since we're on the topic of Bible reading, I figured I'd bring out some books about Bible reading. Um, Has anybody ever read John Piper's series of...
1: Unfortunate events. What? Unfortunate events.
0: No, not a series of unfortunate events. (laughs) He would call nothing unfortunate. All providential. I've read that in his book. It's about Providence. Anyway, he has a whole series of like... Reading the Bible, where does the Bible come from, and then what is preaching, basically. He's um, got a three-book series. And this one's called Reading the Bible Supernaturally. Uh, if you like it, a good, it's a good listen. It's also a good read. I like the way he writes, so it makes it easy for me to, um, to follow and whatnot. But that is probably one of the more influential, thankfully, one of the more influential books on online. Why? Why I read the Bible the way I do, um, and also why I read the Bible at all—it made it, like develop a love within me for the scriptures. And so, um, because I don't know if you if you've ever had this like uh, this feeling before, but I just feel like I'm doing this thing. I feel like I'm, not, I feel like I'm just reading this this book, and it's this the Bible and it's discouraging sometimes, right? Because you don't know why you're reading what you're reading why does your reading plan have you in the middle of Judges and just read more and more um, depressing things Uh, so that book helped me understand what is actually happening when I read the Bible and that, for me, I don't know some people don't like this some people don't like to know the why they just want to know how but I'm going to contest that if you don't know the why behind the how, then you're just doing it because you're doing it. And there's no real reason uh, that you're doing whatever you're doing. And so, for instance, when I was in the military, I was I did two jobs. Um, one of them was my first three years I spent basically running a help desk. Running the, the computer help desk for the bases. And so, when I was in Hawaii, all I would do is handle just fire after, fire after fire after fire after fire. Because guess what? You're only calling me because there's something wrong. And, uh, and so, well, lo and behold, I'm in a, in a job where that kind of is the same thing, uh, <laughs> sort of. Uh, but then I moved into another job that was more on the offensive side of things and more less. It was less in the office. It was all outside. And that for me was way better because I didn't feel so depressed after leaving the workplace every day. And um, so if you fight fires all day and you don't know why you're fighting fires, then it kind of gets depressing. But you know what helped me with that is because I realized that our mission at HP PACA was not related to this general just needing to have his computer working. Right? And him calling me at 3 in the morning trying to set up why his, his yeah. computer was unplugged. <laughs> so
1: and, and, yeah, and, oh, Did you have a lot of
0: ID10-T years? A lot of ID10-T years. Um, it wasn't about that general getting his, his computer working. It was about actually the flying missions that we had that all the stories that we flew all the, all the missions that we ran from and around HQ and Pac-F, Pac-F is like Japan all the way to California and Anchorage, like Alaska and all the way south um, to well, depends on where you're where you're really looking at. But there were we're supporting a whole bunch of mission oriented things. And I just didn't see that at first. So I just poured to tears and annoyed. But as soon as I found out the why behind what I was doing, it was a lot easier for me to go into work. Um, some people that doesn't help them. But for me, it helps a lot because I like to know what I'm what's, what's going on and why I'm doing this stuff. Uh, anyway, so I, I, I digress. But uh, if this book, uh, Reading the Bible Supernaturally, is a great why behind the how. And it's a how at the same time. It gives you a a, a legitimate way to read the Bible um, and to read it. it. It's in the title, Reading the Bible Supernaturally by John Hyper. It's free online on Desiring God. You can just go to it. Uh, you can actually download the PDF or the EPUB. It's it. Uh That's one. Number two Taking God at His Word by Kevin Young. This is a book on like, the sufficiency of Scripture and about why, I mean, the title tells you. It. it says Taking God at His Word. Why the Bible is knowable, necessary, and enough. And what it means for you and me. So it's a good little book, a good little introduction to um, why the Bible is sufficient. Um, and perspicuit- perspicuitous, I still didn't say that right, but knowable and necessary. So uh, it's that's a good book. Good bo- uh, He doesn't actually use any technical language in here. That's why I like it. Because he just tells you what he needs to tell you. He's not using perspicuity and then trying to explain it. He's just telling you about it. You didn't know. It. The other one was I showed it last week. Asking the right questions. This is a great book. I highly recommend it to everybody and every, anybody who's reading the Bible just to read this book alongside the Bible. It will help you. I promise it will help you. Finally, I have this Paul Washer study guide. That is, I don't know if it's in print now that I bring it up here any longer. So it may not be any help to you unless you want to borrow mine um, and not write in it. <laughs> But this, studying the Holy Scriptures, goes very, very far in depth, um, and it, it teaches you all these little things like, uh, I'm going to go to number two in your bullet points that we left off with last time. It says, what does the text mean? He's very good about showing you how, or what the meaning of the text means, and he dives deep. And so if you want to learn how to do that, this is a great book for that, um... I got more books. If you've ever been in my office, there's a whole wall of them. And if you ever are wondering what, it's related to the Bible, and maybe not even related to the Bible. Ask me about it. I may have a book about it. Or so. Uh, if you would like to borrow any, by all means, you can borrow them. One of them I'm actually currently reading, so you can't read down. But okay. does anybody have any questions before we get started? What are we talking about? What? The Bible. The Bible, yes. What's particularly about the Bible? Intake. 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 Manifold. Oh, well, no. Manifold intake
2: would
0: be... <laughs> 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 Depends on if you're talking about spiritual Manifold <laughs> manifold's fitness. Manifold wisdom. Manifold wisdom. Gonna stop. Gonna stop. Um, yes, yeah, so we're talking about Bible intake. Today we're to specifically talk about how to read the Bible. Um, and be very particular about questions that we ask of the Bible. Um, one of the things that I was encountering this week in, um, in miniature, and, and it wasn't really said, but I think we've all experienced this as, as students, and maybe even as adults, just boredom with reading the Bible. Um, boredom. And I saw that in a lot of places this week. What was an interesting thing about it was that that boredom it cannot it will not go away if you do not love Jesus and so if you're not reading your Bible to love Jesus more and to understand what he's saying your boredom won't go away. Does that make sense? This this is an equation almost. Uh, if you're bored with reading the Bible and you're bored with under, trying to understand it and all that stuff, or you're discouraged or anything. Then uh, I'm just going to ask you um, ask it, go read it with someone else. Because that usually fixes the boredom problem. Okay, usually. Um, reading the Bible alongside with someone else, so like reading it out loud to one another, for instance. And uh, fixing boredom is not something that we can easily do because everything and everyone wants everything to be exciting. But guess what? Oh. Here's here's the thing about exciting, because it's fleeting. You'll be constantly chasing that exciting feeling over and over and over until you finally waste away and go, oh, it's all just so hard to find something so exciting all the time. So, for instance, the camp high is something that I buck hard against. we Have all been to camp? Yes? We've all had the camp high where, does everybody understand what I'm talking about? I'm going to be a missionary. And then I go back home and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I'm going to be a pastor. And then you ignore it for the next 10 years until God puts you in the right university and takes you out of the other university. Here, if that was my testimony. Um, so all that to say, all that to say, boredom is not a product of if it is exciting or not. It is all about where your heart is. And unless your heart posture changes, unless you are working on this to understand what God is saying and using this to form your heart, then it will not, and it cannot be anything but boring. Okay? I mean, you can I know some very rank atheists who find this very riveting. But they find it riveting for a whole host of reasons why... Why I don't I don't see why that's riveting. Why is that such a cool thing? I mean, yes, we're talking about death and destruction. We're talking about everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. We're talking about um, a whole bunch of very sad things, but they find them compelling in stories. But nothing else, nothing more. So you can have something very exciting happening in the Bible. You can see it yourself, but unless you are connected to the Holy Spirit, unless He indwells you, unless you are trying to get to know Him more, it will always and it could always be boring. But there is nothing boring about our God. He created all things, and He's spoken to us very clearly in His Word. And so I'm going to move from that proposition right there. God has spoken clearly. He has spoken sufficiently. He has spoken necessarily through His Word. Okay? And why we must study the Bible is so we can know that the one who has brought us into existence and brought us to this place even today any questions about before I go on cons concerns snide remarks
1: yeah. I'll let you know I know. I know I know, I
0: know. <laughs> I'm waiting Stephanie it's okay alright so last last week we were in the five helpful questions to ask when we study the Bible and it is in the middle of your handout if I'm mean, not mistaken and we talked about what does the text say before we get started we're going to pray I realized that I have been talking for 10 minutes and have not prayed, so excuse me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you have been gracious to us to reveal yourself in the face of your Son through your word by your spirit. The Lord, incline our hearts that we he might behold your wondrous works. The Lord, keep us fixed upon your son this morning. Unite our hearts to fear you and your name alone and Lord Lord finally satisfy us this morning with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does this text say, number one? What do you think we're getting at with this question? Why is this so important to Bible reading? not asking rhetorically. Why is it important to know what the text says? I was you understanding. <clears throat> yep, understanding. You can't, you can't even develop that understanding if you don't know what it's saying. Is it, um, where does understanding the text and finding out what the text says start with? It? What does it start with? I'm being very rudimentary here. I want you to follow me.
1: Understanding the meaning of the individual sentences. Reading. Mm
0: -hmm. Reading. Start with reading, right? If you're not reading the scriptures, how can you understand them? How do you know what it says if you're not reading them? Now, does that mean then you can't intake the Bible in some other way, right? Uh, Listen to the Bible on audio. Is that a good way, though, to study
1: the scriptures? If you're the type that hears better than reads, it depends on your learning. But how many times you got to hear that one, you got to press
0: back to hear that one phrase over and over and over and over again. That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. So like, yeah, I agree. Some people hear better and learn better that way. But you can't study, I, I'm going to contest, you can't study something unless you're looking at it and trying to understand how it's ordinally formed. Because you can't make observations about the text that you're hearing and passing, Right? Sometimes you can, but you're not going to have the time when someone else is reading it to you, to do and be intentional. Let me let me demonstrate for a second. I'm not going to tell you where this is for. I just a I'm just going to read it. And then I want you to tell me what it's about. Okay? O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O oh Lord, how shall how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour out their arrogant words, all evildoers boast. They crush your people, O oh Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill your the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob does not see. Tell me what is what's happening? I'm sorry?
2: Somebody's mad. Somebody's mad
0: something bad. Yeah, something bad it happened?
1: I'm just trying, trying to see if can come up with that. What psalm it is? Yeah, <laughs> it's a song. Not yeah. by the number, but by it's obviously the psalmist reacting <clears> to <throat> a particular instance. Today, yeah. The psalmist is lamenting that
0: judgment isn't happening immediately. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's, he's mad. But like, why don't you, he's angry. Like God didn't mind you strike them down the, as right soon as they right. went against your people. What are the what are the what are the uh, requests of the psalmist? What what is the request of the psalmist in this in these seven verses that I read? He wants justice. He wants justice. Is there a way that he wants justice, particularly? Like what's the goal of that justice? Retribution. Retribution for who? For, for himself. himself. I oh. no, Thanks. It's hard to know unless you're looking at it. Yes, you can't hear. Well, I mean, you can hear, but you can't go back in your brain. He wants justice for the Lord's name. Right, he wants his God to be exalted in a in a correct fashion. But if you're not paying attention, you don't hear the Lord that what they say in verse seven says, and they say the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. So his his upsetness his ups, he's upset at the fact that these people are insolent fools, right? And he they want he wants justice for his God. He wants God's name to be known. He wants the Lord to be seen. Right? And so hearing that and reading that like I can look at it and I can see where the, how this is like structured. It starts with God of vengeance and then it says uh, at the end of 7, the God of Jacob does not perceive. So it's almost as if the psalmist is saying Oh Lord, do you, do you not see that they're saying all these things about you? And he's angry because not just because his people are being um, harmed, not just because he is being harmed, but the wicked are exulting in their wickedness. Does anybody know what the difference between exalt and exalt is? You and I? You and I? What does exalt mean?
1: To take joy and to. It's... To rejoice and celebrate. And what does exalt mean? Oh, I thought that's what you said.
0: Yeah, okay, so what does exalt mean?
1: Exalt means to to praise and, and speak of ah, the good. Exalt is to praise,
0: right? To live up. Exalt is to take joy in. Alright, so these are different ways of understanding how we interact with God. Notice what he says. He says, How long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? Right. How long will they take joy in their crushing of, of your people? How long will they take joy in crushing your name? How long will they take joy in not acknowledging who you are for real? Psalm 93 comes before this. This is Psalm 94. We sing Psalm 93. Does anybody know what it's about? Behold hope and Stronger than seas. That song? God from everlasting. What do we sing in the, in the chorus? He reigns. He reigns. The Lord above reigns. And 94 follows this. This is Psalm 94. 94 follows this. It says, so, oh Lord, we know you reign, but God of vengeance, why are you not taking vengeance on your on these insolent fools for your name's sake? So I'm just going to contest that it's hard
1: to study the scriptures if you're not looking. One. All right. Two things. First, directly to, to the passage, there. Basically, the psalmist. You're basically he's thinking of an event that happened. <laughs> so that's yes, what that's talking about. You know, so he's talking about the event and how he responds to it. Yeah. On the aspect of hearing and studying, it was individuals that that's the only way they. Do take you take. Yes. Yeah, sounds
2: very good. And For, and particularly, able to Particularly,
0: particularly your your wife, right? Like who's blind, right? And the only way they can intake is hearing, so they have to develop another skill, right? They've got to develop a higher listening quote like ability capability than you do, who have two working eyes, right? Or one working eye, or yeah, <laughs> whatever can can see. So. God is giving you your senses to be able to make observations about the word. And if you have them, I want to say, use them. Right? I, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to read out loud to myself. Because sometimes I just don't understand what he's, what's being said. And the easiest way to understand what's being said is to hear it out loud. And just go, oh, yeah, okay. But I'm also looking at it. and So I'm using a whole bunch of different senses every time I hear it. I'm not just flushing it out. So, What does the text say? That's a big question. We need to make observations, careful observations of the text. In this text we talked about, well, he calls him, O Yahweh. I didn't even talk about that. You didn't hear what kind of a word. But, O Yahweh, the covenant Lord, the covenant name of God, he uses that. And he says, by your covenant, take vengeance on these people. Right? It's a big... That's a, that's a big detail you can't miss so make careful observations of the text notice the details what kind of details are important any point of grammar any point of grammar thank you that was, yeah, that's the answer i was trying all of them It's <laughs> starting with the grammar and and the reason why is because the grammar can show you quite a bit like, did anybody notice that I uh, said the same thing twice in verse 3? I said, oh Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? Yeah, you thought I was stuttering. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is, is, he was, he was actually putting in a couple, right? And if you look at it, it looks like, oh Lord, the covenant of God, who I should be taking joy in, take, everybody should be taking joy in, they're taking joy in their exaltation. E-X-U-L-T, exultation of their insolence, of how they are treating their people. Not taking joy in you, the covenant power. And so, we have to be be able to notice those little tiny details to be able to understand what those passages mean. Does it relate to what does the text say? Because I'll get to
1: questions in general. It's a comment. This is also music, so it may be a musical... Uh, formula there rather than just strictly uh, a prose, uh, prose discussion of point. Yeah. So uh, re- repetition in music is. Aside,
0: I'll take an aside really quickly. The whole Hebrew Bible is singable, the whole thing was made to be sung. Jewish people, from the very beginning in narrative form all the way through, <laughs> the songs and the psalms and all these things are, are created in a particular rhythm, and because so it can be verbally. sung, because,
1: because that's how they, initially, verbally, yeah, because that's how they, it, that's it how they
0: passed it down. down, it was Verbal. It was sung, and if you ever get a chance, you can look on, on YouTube, um, listening to the Torah song, okay, it, might, it may completely confuse you, but you can hear every line of the Torah song, in a way that um, would be, well, it was chanting before they sung, in that sense of chant. Like Gregorian chants? Not necessarily. That's that was an interpretation of what actually was happening, but there has been really high level grammar, grammar, grammatists, whatever you want to call them, grammarians. Grammarians, Thank you. Um, Who is particularly one guy that I I studied under who can make the case for the singing actual vocalization of notes based on the Hebrew alphabet and how they are. How they are—it's actually created to be sung, in the way that they speak. So that's a point of open-handed. You can think chant—that's fine. But I do like to think that they uh, memorize the Torah in song, less in chant. Where I'm trying to get is: what does the text say? You got to know what it says, right? Before you can ask the next question: what does the text mean? Right. So tell me. How do you know what the text means and when you've got it right? Isn't that the million-dollar question? That is a million-dollar question. <laughs> how do you know what the text means? How, how do you figure out, I'm asking you, how do y'all, when you read the Bible, how do you figure out what the text means? What do you start with? The context around it. Context. Thank you. Context. Context. context, context. Right? That's Psalm 94. Right? If I were just to read that out loud and you guys would go, well, oh God of vengeance, what's going on? Well, the understanding that Psalm 93 precedes this helps you kind of understand, oh, he's reigning over all things, why is he not taking vengeance? The psalmist is pouring out his heart for like what he wants to see, the justice of God being poured on the earth. If you didn't see that, though, no. if you didn't know that, you might be like, this is kind of out of left field. This doesn't make much sense. And if you don't know what's going on in the life of the psalmist, that you may not know why he wrote it this way. And so, definitely context. Um, what else? What else do you need to take under consideration when you're trying to see the meaning of a text? Genre. Genre, absolutely. Do you want to explain genre to us really quickly? Yeah, us? you
1: said it last week, but there are, there are different types of genres in the Bible. So, narrative, uh, you just read a psalm, like, or the prophets, that type of literature, but they all are kind of interpret it differently. So a prophet might not be saying something very literal. He might be speaking in a poetic way that is using multiple biblical images to kind of make a point. And so that's different from like a narrative that's telling you a real good story that you kind of have to look through and kind of interpret what the author is trying to get across. So that's helpful in thinking through the different parts of scripture, like what type of scripture am I reading and how is it talking in a different way that Maybe I maybe I shouldn't read a song the same way I read a story. I
0: agree. What do you think is the easiest genre of of the Bible to understand?
2: Yeah.
0: Anybody else have a different type of understanding? Different, <laughs> different answer. <laughs> Epistles one one? Understand. <laughs> I'm asking. It Epistles. be the easiest
1: <laughs> to understand directly. It might be the hardest to get meaning out of. Ah. Uh-huh. Because you, you, you might be able to see what the text
0: says, right. but you may not be able to get what it means. No, so narrative. I actually think is one part of it. I mean, if you can. I mean, I'm talking about like in the technical sense,
1: not necessarily
0: like, oh yeah, he's saying not to do this, or he's saying. You well, what do you think the hard? What do you think the easiest one? You said epistle. Yeah, I think the, I think the writings or the epistles of Paul are probably the easiest. And the reason why is because he's talking about something particular. And he's trying to explain something particular. And so... And he's using short sentences. And he's using very short sentences. And, and he's... If <laughs> yes, you know what the original question was. Because sometimes you don't know what the question was. And that's it. And so we're going to get to... We're first Corinthians, guys. We're going to talk about head coverings. We're going to talk about head coverings. Does anyone know why head coverings are used in the Bible? First Corinthians, first Corinthians love says... <laughs> Mm, sort of. Sort of. True. To symbolize something. And what does that mean um, I am not a king though. And so I do not merely just say what's going on in my life. I have somebody that I submit to, right? Who is that? Beth. God. <laughs> <laughs> Beth, Beth would have probably turned around and gave me the side eye. <laughs> um, no, I submit to God. Well, you submit to God, right? And then there is this like way that we symbolize how we understand authority and our authority above us, right? Mine is different than mine. Of a male is different than other people. Okay. But what is what do you think he's getting at? And I think I surprised people this week with well, what I think he's getting at, more or less. That's a hard, hard question. So I'm not asking you to actually... I'm just saying, what does the text mean is a hard thing to find out. So you got to know the context. you got to know the genre. I think the easiest genre is the epistles. Narrative's probably in the center. Narrative and Psalms are from right next to each other. And then, what's the hardest? Apocalyptic. And uh, so, what is apocalyptic literature? What is written in apocalyptic genre? The future, things that haven't happened yet, or things that have happened yet, depending on your view of history.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like prophecies, <laughs> and prophecies. Prophecies are. Oh, prophecies, are, I love prophecies.
0: Yeah. Vision. So, give me two books that contain apocalyptic literature. Daniel, Daniel. Daniel, Revelation, Daniel Revelation, right? Yeah. What genres are within the within Daniel? You
1: have narrative and you have prophecy
0: you also have
1: poem you do have
0: poetry and you have epistolary language you have all of those in Daniel Daniel's a hard book to understand if you're looking for I um, understand this in like the full context I'm not saying you can't get some of that. but okay so we talk about Daniel what about Revelation. what I'm going to give you what are the three main joints within revelation?
1: Epistle. Epistle.
0: What else? Prophecy. What? Prophecy. Prophecy. Mm-hmm. Depending on your viewpoint of scripture, yes. <laughs> what else? Would it be warning? Warning. Oh, so, warning is a warning <laughs> is epistle. That's exactly. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, seven, yeah. Seven. yeah. That's that's the that's the just, so the the letter. Recognize right, like the letters in the seven churches. That's all there. Narrative. Narrative, you got narrative. What else you got? Does revelatory count, or is that the same as this one? Rev- rev- Revelatory is all scripture. Yes. But like in a, in a prophetic, is what I would call I think, if you're talking about prophetic, prophecies, which, which is number two. What else? Apocalyptic? No, apocalyptic literature is a full like okay. understanding of the multiple genres put together. All right, fair. So I'm trying to... I'm making a point. It's complicated. It's, <laughs> also, it's also got poetry in the song. absolutely has poetry in it. I mean, think about the angels and their song in heaven. Um, and even then, Take, think about the seven stars and the seven poles and the candle. Like, so how are we talking about that this? Is it allegorical, or is that just tied mm. back into other things? I wouldn't call it allegory, and yeah. I would call it prophetic
1: narrative. Because yeah. like, hey, allegory was huge. talking It's first century language used to describe future
0: events. It's uh, and more importantly, it is minor prophets being retooled into an apocalyptic letter for the churches of the time. So, if you don't know your minor prophets and your major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, you don't know Amos, Obadiah, Hosea, Joel, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, all of them, that you're probably going to misunderstand. Uh, revelation. And the reason why is because the most, that is the one book in the Bible that refers to so many more Old Testament texts that it's just like Old Testament text I Old Testament text. Um, Lindsay, you teach um, English, right? What is the book? There's a book that when we were in high school, I think when we were actually in high school, we read, it was fairly common, and it was about illusions you know what I'm talking about? Donna um, Keoghan? No, no, no. <laughs> not no, no, no. It's about <laughs> illusions. Not illusions. <laughs> illusions. a l l u. Like references it like um, I don't know. 1980 or like, I don't know. What's the picture? Those, those are similar. I, I'm. There's a book that I'm trying to remember. It might just be called Illusions, now that i think thinking about it. But it, um, it alludes... Right? Do a whole bunch of things outside of itself. So you can't actually understand the book unless you understand what it's referencing. Oh, interesting. So it it was a really hard thing to do as a freshman in high school, and because I just didn't have enough life nor reading under my belt, right? Um, Shrek 2. What? Shrek 2. Shrek (laughs) 2. If you don't know know anything about the world outside of Shrek 2, Shrek 2 is just funny. Um, (laughs) Wait a second. But then it gets way better. (laughs) It gets way better. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so the whole point is, is that we have to know the context, we have to know the genre, we have to know what we're looking at, right, to understand what the text means. Um, it also helps to you know the historical, cultural, literary backgrounds. Like I said last week, I um, recommend a good study model, because um, they can do it in miniature. They usually tell you... Um, <laughs> They usually tell you, like, at the very beginning of all the chapters. They give a summary, a very beautiful information on Monster. what the book is,
1: book is about, who may have wrote it, da, may even tell you,
0: like, what, what were the things that they were talking about, yeah. and why were they talking.
1: Major themes.
0: Major themes. So I'm, I'm going to recommend two types of study Bibles to you. One is uh, one that connects all the Scripture together, and the other one is very informative, more or less explaining what is there. So the ESU study Bible does that explaining what is there very well. Um, but the NIV Grace and Truth Study Bible, the notes themselves are worth the book, so they're worth the price of the book because it shows you how the connections within Scripture. The NIV Grace and Truth Study Bible, they are very cheap right now. I recommend them highly. I do not. I <coughs> have an affiliate link. That's a good one. So uh, another helpful thing. Within, when we try to figure out what the text means, is trying to locate it in redemption history. So, and I, I realize that I'm going in the weeds here, but I want you to understand that this this tool alone can help you uh, properly understand the text. Um, for instance, there are the there are the reason why I like this book so well it's because it's so clear. Um, he uses he uses Six C's to um, explain the context, more context, context, contextually, where are we in redemptive history? Ready? The six C's are creation, crisis, covenants, Christ, church, consummation. Okay, lots of C's. Creation, crisis, covenants, Christ, church, consummation. Okay, and another way of understanding it is. Uh, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And the Bible, it actually speaks in these terms. right? It's either looking forward to Christ, it's looking back at Christ, it's looking, um, if you're in the Old Testament, it's looking back at the promises that God made in the garden, for instance, um, to uh, Adam and Eve. It's also looking at the curses that were made in the garden. It's also looking forward to the Future day of the coming of the Messiah, it's also, and then if you're on the other side, you're in the epistles, you're looking at the explanation of the gospel as you live it through life. But if you understand where you are in this this redemptive history, you will have a much easier time understanding the text. Um,
1: If you don't, then you might
0: get lost as to when is what and what is when. All right. I'm going to move on. What concerns caused the text to be written? That's a great question. We've already talked about that. Uh, like, why is this being written to who it's being written to? Why was the Torah written? Is the first time I this the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, to Why was the Torah written? Well,
1: I was to give the children of Israel as they were leaving Egypt probably the historical background as to how they got where they are at. Okay. That's a good way to put it. And to make sure they're. Saying faith was ancient
0: promise. To remember the promises.
1: Yeah, it's like another part. Absolutely. put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah.
0: And so the Torah was directed so that the people of God might not forget, right, what God has said. Why were the why were the prophets written? To get them back on track.
1: To use the Torah to get them
0: back on track toward looking for the promises of God, right? And I was going to make a comment. Okay, okay. On, okay, I was going to say a lot of
1: times that that reasoning is in within the text itself. Yeah. So, like for example, the reason the reason you can say why the Torah was written like that is because in Deuteronomy, that's the whole point. At the at the end of, uh, of it, he explains that so clearly. The prophets they explain, you know, they're trying to call them back to faithfulness in multiple yeah. parts. And so part of that part of that finding that reason is reading it like we were saying before and just being steeped in it. Like that. Yeah, I'm actually in a right now. He actually tells the people he says so they won't forget.
0: That he will not forget. He says that multiple times. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah opens his book with pretty, um, pretty immediate and shocking language. Okay, and the reason why is he's trying to call them back, right? He's keeping their attention. And he he's even says, even says this in two, twelve and thirteen. It says, "Be appalled, O heavens, at this! Be shocked! Be utterly desolate!" declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils: they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves—broken cisterns that can hold no water. What were the two sins? Forsaking God and making their own money. Okay, so. Hewing out cisterns that hold no water. It's another way of saying, I did, I'm doing it myself. I'm not doing it with the help of the one who is the, the creator of these things. He's the fountain of living water, water. And I'm just gonna go make my own stagnant water pool over here that lakes. I can either have the fountain or I can have a stagnant water pool. And and Jeremiah is using this, this language to shock them into understanding that they need to listen. And then he proceeds for the next, you know, the rest of the book, basically, to just dissect their sin and show them where they need to return. And then he gives them a promise, and which is why Jeremiah is so good, in my opinion. He gives them a promise that we are now a part of, right? He promises that no longer will one man sin or turn his sons teeth on edge, right? Though I'm not sure if that's exactly what it says in the New Testament. And that just means that no longer will the son be responsible for the sins of the father. One day, one day there will be a new covenant coming. One day that covenant will come and it will ransom, it will change the way that we relate to God, right? He says, Oh, for this is the covenant I will make With the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That is a big promise after 30 chapters of him railing about their sin. And why they are so Uh, why they're so far apart from what God has said. So, knowing what concerns that the text was written, why the text was written, is really important to understand the text. (laughs) Number four, what do I share in common with the original audience or the human author of this text? Can I just say, from the very beginning, you are human. Mm -hmm. You are sinful. You need a savior. And I'm not saying that in like a, Dantic way I'm saying. It. If you start there,
2: then you'll, understand.
0: you'll understand what being said. When I say, when I read, be appalled, O heavens, be desolate, right? And he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, and they have forgotten cisterns, broken cisterns, a whole no water. What? Can that be said of you too? Absolutely. Absolutely can be said of you. But, can it be said to you in the same way, is the question. Because if you're in Christ, then guess what? The fountain of living water is flowing into you right now, right? And you cannot shut that tap off, right? But you can ignore it, and you have the ability to ignore what he's saying and sin anyway. But you know that you're guilty for it now, whereas the non-believer does not know their guilt, right? And they have been called... Back to the Lord in such strong language. We have to be called sometimes, but such strong language to look back at our God and say, Lord, forgive me. Rescue me. Bring me back into living waters. Back to the fountain of living waters so that I might live. Do you understand? You can find yourself in the text, I promise. Can you find yourself in the text of the seven stars? This is harder. Seven stars in a Revelation. Maybe first you've got to figure out what it means. we got to figure out what it means, right? You can't, you can't know what it means. You can't know uh, how it relates to you. But can I tell you, just overarching understanding about Revelation, Revelation was written for encouragement for the saints. It was not written to scare them. And so if it scares you, come back. Come back and understand that the Lord himself gave you that text so that you might be encouraged about something. It do Uh, it it should motivate you absolutely, motivate you right, but it should not scare you because guess what, this is a glimpse of either future or current or past events depending on who you are Um, I'm just going to keep saying it that way I don't think we have any partial preterists in the room do we? partial what? partial preterists if if you are one you know what it is that's that's preterist preterist so partial preterists, I'm not going to get in there, but they would say that all everything in Revelation is already taking place, except Revelation 21 22. And so, I'm just I'm just being I'm just trying to like toe line that I don't really care which one you are. It's just a matter of how you understand the text. Um, so, what do I share in common with the original audience? You have to understand yourself in line of Scripture and understand yourself in light of what Christ says about you already. Um, number two, you have to understand what, what the text teaches about God's character, purposes, mankind, Christ, our response to Christ, our obedience, church in the world. So I have handed out I think a multiple of the like the bookmarks. Do you have your bookmark on yet? I don't know if I have I don't know if I took yes, it. I tried to like empty my Bible of all things. There is. I'm trying to like, if you want one, I can I can get make more because they're a free resource. But it's basically asking all these questions. Understanding the Bible, that's what this bookmarks is about. What do we learn about God? What do I learn about people? What do I learn about relating to God? What do I learn about relating to people? And then how to apply it? So these last two questions are about understanding and applying. How do I apply the Bible? You ask questions like this. What does God want me to understand? What does God want me to believe? What does God want me to desire as a result of this text? What does God want me to do? So basic questions, and it helps you to understand uh, that the Bible is speaking in a certain way, and that certain way is to form you into the image of the Son. Right? God is forming you into the image of Christ. And if you can ask questions that would do that, that would get you there, then you have a better shot at understanding what the text is there, why it's there, and what it's doing. So in conclusion, I'm going to finish right now because it's 1020. I finally got through this pamphlet. (sighs) <sighs> the Welsh pastor, Jeffrey Thomas, leaves us with some wisdom about how to approach Bible and He says this, do not expect to master the Bible in a day, or a month, or a year. Rather, expect often to be puzzled by its contents. It is not all equally clear. Great men of God often feel like absolute novices when they read the word. The apostle Peter said that there were some things that were hard to understand, even in the epistles of Paul, 2 Peter 3.16. It says, I am glad that he wrote those words because I have felt that often. So do not expect always to get an emotional change or charge or feeling of a quiet place when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may expect that to be a frequent experience, but often you will get no emotional response at all. It won't be exciting. That's what he's saying let the word break over your heart and mind over and over again as the years go by and imperceptibly there will come great changes in your attitude, outlook, and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these other people are going to see it before you see it. And often we will, you will feel very, very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become wonderfully great. If I can leave you with anything right now, it's this. Be patient. Be constant. Be expectant. Okay. Be patient, be constant, be expectant in your Bible reading. Be expectant. Expect God to speak through your Bible reading. Be constant. Continuously, continuously engage the word. Whether it's through meditation, whether it's through um, like reading, whether it's through study, whether it's through uh, memorization, whether it's through any of those things. Constantly engage God's word. I lost my other word, so I'm going to finish. Uh, does anybody have any questions? If you do, write them down. Ask them next week. We're going to pray. We'll okay, be uh, done. Johnny's standing in the back. He normally like, stands on the other side. Of the yeah, I see. I see. Oh, Father, you are good and gracious to give us this time to show us how we are to read your word um, through men and uh, the church for that has gone before us. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we ask that you would submit whatever truths that we've heard today to our hearts. That you would equip us to do every good work in ministry. That you would teach us to be constant. Teach us to be expectant um, while we read your word. In Jesus' name,
2: amen.